You're about to listen to Grace Pills by Reverend Josh Lai, lead pastor at Caris Center International. Reverend Josh Lai is a preacher of the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be blessed as you listen. some time now we've been discussing the church the fellowship of the brethren how that helps us to exercise our spirit and with that we actually got into the nature of the church the intensity of our bond and it's been quite um, eye-opening and we thank God for the feedbacks that I get almost uh, every day and we honor Jesus for his faithfulness. The most important thing is that we together apply the word so that we shall profit thereby by it. In the name of Jesus. We want to go straight to summarize what we learned last week. In other words, the church part four as we actually do the last part for today, which is the five. And so we go to church four, the church part four, or the fellowship of the brethren part four. And you get to understand for those of you who may be watching for the first time, what we are treating is the excellence culture. All right. We believe that the Christian by God's grace has received the spirit of excellence. Okay just like was in Daniel today by God's grace, God is resident in us by the excellent spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus had the excellent name and the excellent ministry. And we show the ways by which the Christian can manifest or exercise this excellent spirit so they can manifest God's manifold grace, all right? How they can live the life of the supernatural here on earth. And we said that number one is by the word, number two, by prayer, number three, by fasting. And we are actually on the church, which is the fellowship of the brethren as a tool, a powerful tool where we are able to exercise our spirit. And we are on the last for today, but I first get to summarize the part four. So, Philippians chapter two, verse one to four. So, what we normally do is that I'll give you the text, and then I would actually go straight to what we learned in that text. And what you must do as a believer is that anytime you want to explain scripture, make sure that the text is mentioned clearly, so that even if you can quote verbatim what the text says you know exactly what it says there so you can give the right interpretation this is the reason why I do um, this exercise the way I do it okay so Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 to 4 what did we learn there we learned that to experience the consolation of Christ the comfort of his love the unity of the spirit and affection and mercy Nothing should be done out of selfish and 
conceit. Nothing, sorry, nothing should be done out of selfishness and conceit. Nothing should be done out of selfishness and conceit. To experience the consolation of Christ, the comfort of his love, the unity of the spirit, and his affection and mercy, nothing should be done in the body out of selfishness and conceit. Nothing should be done in the body out of selfishness and conceit. But in lowliness of mind, we should esteem others better than ourselves. In lowliness of mind, we should esteem others better than ourselves and look out for their interest. So the catch, the catch phrase there is to esteem others better than yourself in the body. In the body, see others better than yourselves and look out for their interest. Okay? And he says that the same mind is in Christ Jesus. That's what Christ Jesus did. So if you get to the verse 5, it explains what Christ Jesus did. Who being the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming to the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee bows and those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Right? So let the same attitude, let the same mind be in the believer. And you can actually look at this, imagine it, and see how the Christian body is going to be like if we esteem each other better. Praise God. Acts 9.5 Acts 9.5 Acts 9.5 speaks to when Saul encountered Christ and he asked who are you Lord and the Lord said I am Jesus the one you are persecuting alright so what is Jesus trying to say whenever we hurt the believer or the church as a body we are hurting Christ whenever we hurt a believer or the church as a body, we are hurting Christ. Anytime you are hurting a believer, know that you are also hurting Christ. Galatians chapter 6, 9 to 10. Galatians chapter 6, 9 to 10. What did we learn? We also learned that we must never give up the opportunity to do good to all, especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We must never give up the opportunity to do good to all because that's our nature. Okay? Especially to the brothers and sisters in Christ. Now we also learned that when we come to church, we are taught and we are to receive instructions. All right? And that must be very, very clear. So, you don't always have to ask the pastor to agree with you because you are to, to be taught. And the word taught there actually in Matthew 
28, 18, where he says we should go and make disciples. The word there is to be students, to be enrolled, mathetuit, to be enrolled as trainees, as students of a particular discipline, okay? Uh, and, and so we are to be students or we are to be apprentices, okay? And, and so it, it must be very clear that anytime you come to church, you must submit to instructions to be taught. And that's exactly what we do in church. How did we get that? Matthew 28, verse 18, when Jesus told them to go out and make disciples of all the nations. It was an official instruction, okay, for the Great Commission. Okay, so that must be clear. We learned that we enrolled to be trained to become Christ's disciples and disciple others unto all the nations. We are enrolled to be trained as Christ's disciples and disciple others unto all the nations. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, where he gave gifts to the church the gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors who are teachers for the equipping of the saints. All right? So we learned from 11, 4, 11 to 16. What did we learn? The gifts of Christ to the church. The gift of Christ to the church as trainers are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors who are teachers. The gift of Christ to the church as trainers are apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors who are teachers. Their job description is to equip the saints with the knowledge of Christ. Their job description is to equip the saints with the knowledge of Christ to effectively do the work of ministry. So they are to equip you and I to effectively do the work of ministry. So your full-time ministry as actually is actually the work of the ministry. Whatever you do actually must, must be done half-time. So what you call your full-time profession is actually meant to be your half-time, your side gig. What you are called to do full-time is ministry. And so you must actually see ministry as your full-time ministry and see any other profession as a side gig. That's the way you must treat it. Okay? So we are to train you to do the work of the ministry. So the work of the ministry is not for the pastor. The pastor trains you. The saint, the believer, equips you to do the work of ministry. And to have precise knowledge of the word, to have precise knowledge, accurate knowledge of the word, to grow into maturity, to grow into maturity in Christ Jesus for building up of the whole body in love. Let me take it again. The job description of the pastor who is a teacher, evangelist, apostles and prophets is to equip the saints 
with the knowledge of Christ to effectively do the work of ministry and to have precise knowledge of the word to grow into maturity in Christ Jesus for building up of the whole body in love. For the building up of the whole body in love. Second John 1, 8 to 10. Second John 1, 8 to 10. What does it teach us? We are heavily, we are sorry, we are heavily cautioned. We are heavily cautioned not to wander away from the doctrine of Christ. We are heavily cautioned not to wander away from the doctrine of Christ. That is teachings on who Christ is, what Christ did, who the believer is in Christ, and the inheritance of the believer in Christ. So the doctrine of Christ contains who, uh, what, sorry, who Christ is, yes, who Christ is, what Christ did, who the believer is in Christ, and the inheritance of the believer in Christ. Secondly, we are also warned not to admit into our church meetings or homes any of such persons. We are warned not to admit into our church meetings or homes any of such persons. Who are those persons? Those who actually don't teach Christ. And they are teaching other things apart from Christ. We also learned about obeying authority in church, which is a part of exercising our spirit to be able to manifest the glorious life, the excellent life. Obeying authority. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 Appreciate the worth of your leaders by obeying their instructions. Appreciate the worth of your leaders by obeying their instructions. Appreciate the worth of your leaders by obeying their instructions. First Peter, sorry, Hebrews chapter 13, 7 to 9. Hebrews chapter 13, 7 to 9. We are admonished to learn of our leaders as they consistently depend on the faithful work of Christ's redemption and follow suit. We are admonished to learn of our leaders as they consistently depend on the faithful work of Christ's redemption and follow suit. Bearing in mind that Jesus Christ and his word is constant through the test of time. Bearing in mind that Jesus Christ and his word is constant through the test of time. We must never wander away from the gospel of grace to the law. We must never wander away from the gospel of grace to the law. Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17. Which is our last scripture. We must willingly obey our leaders because they have a mandate they have a mandated, sorry, responsibility by God towards believers. We must willingly obey our leaders 
because they have a mandated responsibility by God towards believers, towards us or towards believers. Our refusal to obey will not be to our advantage. Our refusal to obey will not be to our advantage. All right. So we are done with a summary of last week's and then we can now go to the business of today. Father, I stand to speak as the oracles of God. I stand to speak with grace that only you, God, supply. As we see ourselves in you, you would open up yourself to us. Let the word of God be divided accurately without any errors, without any contradictions. I decree in the name of Jesus that I see a transformed life. At the end of the day, may Jesus be glorified and we be edified. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the fellowship of our brethren, part five, and this is the last of the church series. Next week, we'll be looking at love. So, get ready for the love series. Amazing. Now, in church, there's one thing that is more like a kind of a gray area that helps in the exercise of our spirit. But it normally tends rather to take people out of church. Because many church disciplinary actions against moral failures of its members would have been handled differently if such folks were seen as truly family members. Now, all through this series, you've realized that the bond is very intense. And we are a family. That's why sometimes in scripture, you, you hear us uh, saying that we are a household of faith, a family of brothers and sisters. As a matter of fact, Jesus says that I'm not ashamed to call you my brothers. And it's clear that we entered into the fellowship and by that we are in fellowship with the father because Jesus Christ now has become our brother. In other words, we came from the same womb. The word brothers is the word Adelphus. Okay? And the word Delphus is the word womb. In other words, we all came from the same womb. Jesus also said it and you heard it clearly in Acts 9.5. When um, the, the people, the believers were being persecuted and Jesus said clearly that Paul and Saul, you are persecuting me. Okay, so whatever we do against Jesus, against our brother, sorry, we also do against Jesus. And Jesus makes us understand that clearly because that's the bond. We are one body, all right? When Ephesians chapter 5 was talking about the, the mystery of the church, Christ and the church, he talked about marriage, okay? In other words, the husband and the wife are one. In the same way, we and Christ are one body, okay? And so it's very important for believers to know, for pastors to know, for everybody who is in the fold to understand that we should be able to treat these matters like we are treating a family member. We're treating somebody in our nucleus family, okay? Now, the day we understood discipline in the light of this natural body, our approach to it will heal the body than destroy it. The day we understood 
church discipline in the light of the body, this natural body, this natural flesh, our approach to it will heal the body than destroy it. Now, this is what actually the Holy Spirit opened up to me. Now, when a part of your body has a sore or is diseased, do you cut it off? Do you condemn it? Do you reject it? Do you look down on it and treat it carelessly? I am sure that you treat it with care and love so that that body part as well as the whole body is restored. Because when you have a sore or a disease on a part of the body, you realize that it affects the functioning of the whole body. As a matter of fact, each part of the body, including your brain, your hands, your ears and eyes, etc., will run to the aid of that body part to restore it. The moment there is a sense of a body part in pain, in need, disease, all the other body parts rush to make sure that that part is restored. Your eye will bring your attention to it. Your ear will bring your attention to it. Okay? So, each part of the body will rush to bring restoration to that body part that is in danger, that is aching, that is in pain, that is diseased. Now, you only cut that part off if that body part has become cancerous. You only cut that body part off if that part has become cancerous. That is when you have done everything in your power to do. And, and why would you cut it off? So that the whole body is preserved. Of course, you will surely do that with so much pain. And you will never, ever get over it. Sometimes you can't get over it because you lost that body part. You love it. Ponder over this. I have counseled people who have lost their body part and they can never get over it because they so love it. They feel some way without it. In the same way, when we see ourselves as one body and everyone within the fellowship are members of the same body, issues of sin and moral failures will be treated differently. It will be treated with love, 
delicate attention and care. I once asked a pastor if he would have done same to his own daughter if he or she, if she sorry had the same failure. In other words, they had a problem where a young man in the church had a problem. And the pastor took it to the press. And, 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 and the pastor used it to preach. And they asked the person to leave the church. If it was your brother, if it was your sister, would you tell it to the press? Would you use it as your topic to preach? Would you ask them to leave your home? He couldn't answer. Just like a cancerous body part that all has been done but to no avail and could spread to the other parts of the body, we must only discipline where and when one is unrepentant and rebellious. Just like a cancerous body part that everything else has been done but to no avail and could spread to other parts of the body, we must only discipline where and when a believer is unrepentant and rebellious. Apostle Paul gives us a case study in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 to 8, where something terrible happened regarding a young man having an affair with his stepmother. And the whole church was talking about it. And the young man himself was glorying in his sin. Therefore, it doesn't serve as a good example for the church. And the young man was unrepentant. And the church didn't see it as anything. Everybody was just talking about it. So Apostle Paul had to write to the church. This is what he said. What a terrible thing it is that you are boasting about your purity. And yet, you let this sort of thing go on. Don't you realize that if even one person is allowed to go on sinning, soon all will be affected? Remove this evil cancer. You got it. Remove this evil cancer. This wicked person from among you. So that you can stay pure. So you can see exactly what Apostle Paul is referring to. So when the situation becomes cancerous, 
you are forced to cut that part, that member of the body out so that all the other parts can be preserved. And so that's what he was asking to do. He says, God's lamb has been slain for us. So let us feast. Let us feast upon him and grow strong in the Christian life. Living entirely behind us the cancerous old life with all its hatred and wickedness. Let us feast instead upon the pure bread of honor and sincerity and truth. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 to 13 continues with exactly what he asked to do. He says, it isn't our job to judge outsiders. But it certainly is our job to judge and deal strongly with those who are members of the church and who are sinning in these ways. God alone is the judge of those who are on the outside. So he's talking about unbelievers. But you yourselves must deal with this man and put him out of your church. Okay, so because of the situation and the scenario, the guy was unrepentant and rebellious. Apostle Paul said, just like a cancerous disease that can easily now spread to every part of the body, cut it out. Now, would you even realize that even at this point, the name of the young man was never mentioned? If it, was, it had to do with doctrinal issues, you would see that definitely his name would have been mentioned. Because the moment that happens, that affects the whole body. Because the moment the mind is polluted about doctrine, it affects everything. It affects the, the, the church, the, 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 the laity in every way. Okay, so he even didn't mention the name of the person. Now, for those of us who may have read the situation in 1 Corinthians 5, and may have concluded that the person was just cut out and was just left to rot. No. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 11, speaks clearly to the heart of Apostle Paul regarding the situation and together with the whole church. He comes back, and if you look at the heart of the letter, you would understand the heart with which the young man was corrected. And the word carefully used here is corrected. 2 Corinthians 2, 2, sorry, 1 to 11. But I determined within myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow, for if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I come, 
I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy. Having confidence in you that all that my joy is, the joy of all of you. For out of much affliction and the anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you, you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not caused me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So he's talking about the young man. In 1 Corinthians 5. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. So, Apostle Paul clearly is bringing us to the understanding that it was not a delight to see a part of the body being cut out or going wrong. You could feel the tone and the language so clearly that he was actually in pain. But he said that, reaffirm the young man, bring him back, show him love, so that he doesn't get into too much sorrow. And he says, I wanted to also understand whether the quality of the message is sunk in. In other words, you know where to draw the lines. And you know what to do when you have to do it. And the focus of the church is Christ. And we are actually making sure that we are showcasing good examples for the growth and maturity of the believers. And that's why I wrote the letter to you and with such a harsh language for the first time. Look at the 10. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For indeed, I have forgiven anything. I have forgiven that one for your sakes and in the presence of Christ. Lest. Lest. Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. So he includes himself. He includes the church. He includes the brother. In other words, all of us belong to one body. And we have one common enemy, Satan, who seeks to take advantage of us. And therefore, when a brother suffers, it is not us 
who should delight in it? There is only one who delights in it. But we would deny him of that delight. He will not have fun because we come together again. We stand together again and we gain our brother. And you can see it clearly in when Jesus spoke to us the first time in Matthew 18 regarding the church as an assembly. He says when your brother does something, go to your brother and tell him what he did to you. And he says if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he doesn't, take two or three people. If he doesn't, tell it to the church elders and let them sit on it. And if he doesn't, treat him like an unbeliever. Okay, so there are processes for discipline. And it should not be something that should be done with so much delight to the pain of the believer and make them feel that they are left out and they are not wanted. No. So, so it is something that should not, it, it, it's, you would, we would be looking at it and you'd be amazed that this is the pattern that we have been given for solving problems in the church because it must lead to the exercise of the spirit and the restoration of that part of the body that is suffering. So, in the absence of earlier elements spoken about rebellion and an unrepentant heart, we are to restore and cover up. We are to restore the person and cover them up. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 6. Dear brothers, if a Christian is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help him back onto the right path. You remember First Peter? Chapter 1, verse 5 to 9, speaks clearly about how one is regarded as godly. You have diligence. You have faith. You have virtue. You have self-control. You have endurance or perseverance. And then to your, sorry, you have knowledge and then you have self-control. And then you have um, uh, perseverance. And to your perseverance, you add godliness. But then to your godliness, you must add brotherly kindness and love. So you see, when people are godly, without brotherly kindness and love, they are legalistic and they are self-righteous. What it means is that they are doing what they are doing, not founded and established in God's grace. They are doing it to show that they are the ones 
that are holy. And they are doing it to spite others. But it's amazing that when a church lives in this kind of understanding, there are two divides of carnal people to put together. The divide of those who are self-righteous, who think they are something but they are nothing, and they are those who also think that if they condemn us, and this is what they say we are, we better live in that state. So you have the two divides of carnal people who are glorying themselves in different ways, and the church suffers. And that is why Apostle Paul instructs. That's why he said, dear brothers, because we are family members. If a Christian is overcome by sin, you who are godly should show brotherly kindness and love by gently and humbly helping him back onto the right path. And he sounds a caution. He sounds a caution. What is the caution? Remembering that next time it might be one of you who is in the wrong. So just like the illustration I gave from the beginning, if a body part is suffering, if a body part is diseased, the other body parts do not just look on and say perish along. No, they all rush and make sure that that body part is healed and restored. Because they also know that one of these days they can also suffer same. And when they suffer same, all the other body parts come together to make sure that that part is restored and healed. If your body parts know this, how come a child of God, a child enlightened by God, a child filled with God, and the nature of God is love, how do you allow people to perish and they become a mockery and a ridicule? He said, next time, it might be one of you who is in the wrong. Two, share each other's troubles and problems. And so obey our Lord's command. What is the Lord's command? Love your neighbor as yourself. Whatever you wish for yourself that you think will be the best for you, wish it for the other one. Whatever you want to do for yourself, for which you think is glorious, do it to your brother. Give it to your brother. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Bear each other's burden. Share each other's troubles and problems. And so obey our Lord's command. Three. If anyone thinks he's too great to stoop to this, he's fooling himself. If anyone thinks that what is happening to the brother can never happen to them, then it means they don't understand what the grace of God does. Because it's only by the grace of God that we are able to overcome sin. 
It is only by the grace of God that we're able to walk in that uprightness for which he has called us. It is only by the grace of God and not by ourselves. If any man thinks that this is beyond them, they are glorying in themselves. And he says, he's really a nobody. Let everyone be sure that he's doing his very best. For then he will have the personal satisfaction of work well done and won't need to compare himself with someone else. In other words, each one of us are running the race. And each one of us should be able to do according to the grace of God as he works in us, be diligent, add faith, add knowledge, add virtue, add self-control, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love so that you will not be short-sighted and you will not be blind and you will be fruitful in the knowledge of Christ so that you'll be that same person who will never forget that their old sins have been cleansed. So you do exactly according to what the grace of God has offered you. Walk in the light of the knowledge of the Son of God and grace made available to you. I like the five. Each of us must bear some faults and burdens of his own. In other words, when you go wrong, take responsibility for your actions. Don't start excuses. Don't do blame shifts. Don't say it was because of this. It was because of the devil. It was because that person did that. He says, bear the responsibility. Know where you went wrong. And I, I, I speak to the fact that I was wrong. I didn't do it right. Here, I did it wrong. Here, I didn't do it right. I didn't even think through it well. Make sure you take responsibility for your action. And it tells us why we must do so. Because none of us is perfect. So don't act like you're a superman. People who always blame shift and give excuses have that mentality of superiority complex. They can't make mistakes. If they make mistakes, they are weak. If they make mistakes, they are no more human. If they make mistakes, they are the ones who, who I mean, who, who, who are on the top and therefore everybody will see them as low. It is self. It is not of God. It is arrogance. It is not of God. None of us are perfect. So make sure that you take responsibility for your actions. Look at 1 Peter 4.8. 1 Peter 4.8. And above all things, have Fervent charity amongst yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. 
Anytime I read the scripture, I ask myself, where did the English language lose it? Just right there. Multitude, uncountable, unmeasurable, yet sins. It tells you that there should be no limit. And love is only shown in error. And anybody that you love, you cover their wrongs. That is how we entered into the fellowship. Somebody covered our wrongs. Somebody paid for our wrongs. And therefore we do same for one another. And above all, in other words, it is not the least. It is the prime. It is the peak. It is the cream. That is what features prominently and makes a believer be called mature. Second Thessalonians 3.15 also opens us up that in all cases we must treat anybody who fails like a brother. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14, 15. If anyone refuses to obey what we say in this letter, notice who he is and stay away from him. Watch this. That he may be ashamed of himself. 15. Don't think of him as an enemy. Don't think of him as an enemy. But speak to him as you would to a brother who needs to be warned. So sometimes when you see <laughs> statements or phrases in the Bible that says stay away from him or avoid him, you must really go check. Because if he says avoid him, why would he say speak to him at the same time? Is it contradictory? No. What he's trying to say is that don't, don't let what he's saying get to you. Don't let him influence you with his action. So make sure you don't think of him as an enemy. But speak to him as you would to be to a brother, as you would to a brother. Who needs to be warned? So he is a brother. Last but not the least, with regards to discipline, that helps to exercise the spirit, is that we should never correct after the flesh, but we should correct like our Father, God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9 to 10. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9 to 10. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, that is God, chastens us for our profit that we 
might be sharers or partakers of his holiness. So the father chastens us not to destroy us. When the father is correcting the son, it leads him to restoration and it takes him to a training process and they become better than before. So he says, when God is correcting his children, he does not kill them. He does not treat them like an enemy. And he uses our earthly fathers as an example. So sometimes, the way we deal with disciplinary issues gives people and believers a certain concept of God. That God is a very wicked God. That God is not kind. That God has been waiting all this while for him to just make a mistake and throw him out somewhere. That God is a user and an abuser. And because that's how we treat people when they go wrong. This is what I read in the book. In the book of... of of, of, of Dr. Herbert Lockyer. I found it out. This is what he says. Dr. Herbert Lockyer. In his book. The Sins of the Saints. The Sins of the Saints. He talks about the bitterness of criticism. He says. Bitter. Unworthy. And unchristlike criticism is the dead fly causing the ointment of many a good life to send forth a stinking savor. Whether in church or assembly, believe in it and serve it with your utmost loyalty. Yes, and shield the faulty ones in the flock and shield the faulty ones in the flock, exposing no one's dirty linen to the gaze of the public. If you do not altogether agree with a preacher, be silent about him before the godless, before the unbeliever. Do not tear him or any of your fellow church members to pieces before children. To be guilty of dragging the fellow of a church, preacher, or Christian before the world is to act as a traitor in the camp. This is a sin of which we are all more or less guilty. It's my prayer that we all gain understanding and we deal with each other as family, as the Lord entreats us by his word. Now, for most of the examples that you see that the apostles will talk about in the church, they only open them up 
For the church to recognize them mostly because of their work in the ministry. It is not because they are wealthy. They are well known. No. It is because of their major contribution to the work of ministry and their growth and development in the Christian faith. And so they always showcase them so that people will watch them as an example so that they would influence and inspire other believers in the faith. So as you can see, most of the things that are done in church are not done based on how rich, how famous. It has nothing to do with materialism. No. It has nothing to do with worldly status. No. It has all to do with maturity and Christian leadership and example in the faith. If you look at Colossians chapter 4, Verse 7, and Apostle Paul used that uh, Colossians chapter 4 to do a lot of commendations and uh, open these people up to be recognized by the saints. Colossians 4, 7, he mentions Tychicus. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. So you can see all the things that are being said there are in regard to ministry. A faithful minister, a beloved brother, a fellow servant in the Lord. Tychicus actually appears five times in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 20, he was one of the brethren who accompanied Paul in his deputation when they were going to give offering to the Jerusalem church. He also served as a courier for Paul's letters to Ephesus. Ephesians 6, 21. Apostle Paul also mentions him twice in his later letters. First, sending him to Crete to be with Titus in Titus three twelve, And later, mentioning him to Timothy. That he has sent him Titicus to Ephesus so that he, he was no longer with him. 2 Timothy 4, 12. And then he also mentioned him here in Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. But what is very important is that he was mentioned as what? A beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a faithful servant in the Lord. Colossians 7. Colossians 4.9 also mentions Onesimus. Now, Onesimus is also said to be a faithful and a beloved brother. A faithful and a beloved brother. Now, Onesimus was a slave to Philemon. Philemon was in the church of Colo the Colossian church. Uh, and, and, and he actually was more like someone who was serving Apostle Paul. Okay, and Onesimus took 
his master's money, that's Philip, Philemon's money, and ran away. But he met Apostle Paul in Rome and became a convert. And so you know what Paul did? Paul sent him back to his master and asked for forgiveness for Onesimus so that Philemon would have the heart to let it go. And that's exactly what happened. And from then on, Onesimus became a beloved brother and a faithful servant of the Lord. There was another guy in Colossians 4, 10, Aristarchus. He, Paul, addressed as a fellow prisoner. A fellow prisoner. In other words, he went through all Paul's affliction in prison together with him. He was not shy of him. He was there with Paul in Acts 19, 23 to 41. And it has a background story that is so, that is so wonderful. Where Paul was attacked by a mob. But Aristarchus never neglected Paul. They didn't run away to leave him. They labored with him in the times of trouble, in the times of affliction. And these are great examples that Apostle Paul would open up to the church and talk to them about it and say, salute these guys. They are working the work of ministry. So you see, in church, we open up guys like this who are working their hearts out for the Lord Jesus that all the other saints that are coming will look up to them so that they would also do same as fellow laborers for Christ. There are people like Epaphras, Epaphras, sorry, Colossians, 12, uh, Colossians 4, 12. Epaphras, which is one of you, he is called a bone servant. Paul addresses him just like he addresses himself. Romans chapter 1 verse 1, I, Paul, a bone servant. Timothy chapter 1, I, Paul, a bone servant. And he actually addresses Epaphras in the same way. In other words, this is a young man who has number one. Chosen to be a slave. Number two, he's a slave by love. Number three, he's a slave to Christ for life. He says, he greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers. So look at Epaphras. He was an intercessor for the saints. What is the prayer that Epaphras prays? That you may stand perfect. And complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you. He has a great zeal for the saints. His heart always yearns to see the saints grow in Christ. Become knowledgeable of the son of God. And they begin to do great and mighty things for God. He says he has great passion for you. He is red hot for you. And for those in Laodicea. And those in Hierapolis. Epaphras was a beloved worker. He was a faithful minister of Christ. He was the bearer of, a, of the good news. He was a man of prayer. 
And he was a true missionary. Let me submit the last one. Third John. Third John 1. 5 to 12. So this is the letter of the apostle John. Who was also an apostle of Christ Jesus. And look at what he says. He's calling out some of the believers. Beloved. You do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for the strangers. 3 John 1, 5 to 12. Who have borne witness of your love before the church? If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers of the truth. So he was calling them to work and to be able to receive all the ministers that were sent to them in a very proper way. And then he goes to mention two individuals. Diotrephes was the first. In the verse 9. 3 John 1 verse 9. I wrote to the church. But Diotrephes. Who loves to have the preeminence among them. Does not receive us. Therefore if I come. I will call to mind his deeds. Which he does. Praying against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbid those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Don't ever be like Diotrephes. Number one, he imposes himself on the people. Number two, he doesn't receive the minister's that are brought, that are called to come over. And he also forbids others to do so. And he puts them out of fellowship. That's a cancer there. That's a cancer there. That's a cancer there. So you see how the moment it has to do with pure issues of hospitality and also doctrine. They had to mention him. And he actually rather are putting people out of fellowship. But there was a young man, Joe, sorry, there was a young man, Demetrius. 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 But I think before I come to Demetrius, John says something that the believers would have to do with regards to Diotrephes. And let me speak to that and then I'll come to Demetrius. In 11, 3 John 1, 11, he says what to do. He said, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. 
He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. In other words, he lacks knowledge. He lacks insight. And that's why he's doing what he's doing. Don't imitate. Don't follow his actions. In the same way in church, follow the right examples. Follow, follow the right people who are working their hearts out for the gospel and for the kingdom. So let's look at Demetrius and then we'll be ending for today. I hope you're being blessed. Demetrius, 3 John 1, 12. Demetrius has a good testimony from all. May that be said about you. That you have a good testimony from all. And he says this carefully. And from the truth itself. The truth here is not that it's true. The truth here is actually the word doctrine. From the doctrine itself. So, in other words, from the counsel of God's word, his testimony is true. So, his testimony is being measured by the word of God. And then John says, and we also bear witness. And you know that our testimony is true. In other words, Everybody is speaking well about Demetrius. And we have measured him by the word. And his testimony stands. And we ourselves as the apostles bear witness of him. And you know that anyone we bear witness of, our testimony is true. Now, who was Demetrius? Let's go to Acts 19. 23 to 41. But about the time a big blow up developed in Ephesus concerning the Christians. It began with Demetrius. A silversmith who employed many craftsmen to manufacture silver shrines to the Greek goddess Diana. He called a meeting of his men together with other employed, others employed in related trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, this business is our income. And as you know so well from what you've seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many, many people that handmade gods aren't gods at all. As a result, our sales volume is going down. And this trend is evident not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not only talking about the business aspects of this situation and our loss of income, but also of the possibility that the temple of the great goddess Diana will lose its influence and that Diana, this magnificent goddess, worshipped not only throughout this part of Turkey, but all around the world, will be forgotten. At this, their anger boiled and they began shouting, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. A crowd began 
together and soon the city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus. So you see Aristarchus appearing here. Paul's traveling companions for trial. Paul wanted to go in, but the disciples wouldn't let him. Some of the Roman officers of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering. Inside the people were all shouting, and some one, some one, some, some one thing, and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. Oh my God, it always happens. Alexander was spotted among the crowd and some of the Jews dragged forward. He motioned for silence and he tried to speak. But when the crowd realized he was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it for two hours. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. I mean, they were just chanting. At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Men of Ephesus, he said. Everyone knows that Ephesus is the center of the religion of the great Diana, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is the indisputable fact, you shouldn't be disturbed no matter what is said, and, should not, and nothing should be rushed. Yet, you have brought these men here, who have stolen nothing from her temple, and have defamed her, and have not defamed her. If the metros and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are currently in session and the judges can take the case at once. Let them go through legal channels. If there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled at the regular city council. For we are in danger of being called to account by the Roman government for today's riot. Since there is no cause for it, and if Rome demands an explanation, I won't know what to say. Now, this is the Demetrius we are talking about. Who now has turned over and was on fire for the Lord Jesus. And he is the one that all the apostles are bearing testimony about. And all the people are bearing testimony about. The head of the silversmith in Ephesus he was their president. But God, by the gospel of his grace, turned him around. And he has become a major ally to the apostles and to the message of Christ. And therefore, John decided, let's recognize him. Because he would inspire those who are coming to walk in this understanding and in this light. May the church not be a place where we fancy ourselves in carnality and materialism. May it be the spiritual place that invokes out of our spirits spirituality and devotion to Christ. Anytime we stand to talk about, let's talk about the testimonies of Christ. What is the first thing 
that you talk about when you see a brother or a sister in church. You talk about your fanciful clothes. You talk about the next contract. You talk about the next breakthrough, as in something that is coming that is material. Do you share the testimony of the faith? Do you talk about which Bible verse is giving you issues that you still can't find understanding? What do you think about it? Do you ask what their quiet time was like? What the Holy Ghost is saying to them? These are the things that should inspire us. Do you talk about a life that God has changed and transformed? And how they used to be. What they used to be. And how God is using them mightily. These. Are the stuff. That should inspire all of us. May the full understanding. Of the revelation. Of the fellowship of the brethren. Continue to fill our hearts and minds. As we walk in this light. May the exercise of our spirit in the word of God, in prayer, in fasting, and in the fellowship of the brethren lead us to live in the excellent life by the excellent spirit to the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Grace, glorious grace, grace, glorious grace, at the cross you called it finished. Thank you for listening to Grace Pills by Reverend Josh Lai, lead pastor, Caris Center International. We believe the word has begun a good work in you. May God's amazing grace lead you to a peaceful and joy-filled life. Caris Center International, living heaven on earth.